The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Today's reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. You can follow along with the Bibles underneath your chair. They're really pretty, aren't they? And on the screen behind you. All right. The day of the Lord. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light." children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put, sorry, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is God's word. Good morning. All right. I was in Charleston this week. And that's where I'm from. And uh, my parents are right in the middle of moving. They're building a house. And so my mom had uh, all of our pictures, I think, from the time that I was born until like two weeks ago, out, spread out all over the spare room. And so I started uh, looking at some of the pictures and thinking back. And I myself am about to become a parent. My wife and I are pregnant with our first child, due very soon. And so I've been thinking a lot about childhood, about children, about parenting, and all of that sorts of things. So I thought about, after seeing some of these pictures, uh, about a a birthday party I had when I was eight. And I don't know about you guys, but eight was a big year for me. That was a very formative time. And uh, like any good eight-year-old, I had a pretty sweet birthday party. Uh, I had a sleepover with some buddies, and so where I'm from, there was a swamp area, and my dad thought it'd be a good idea to tell us a story about the swamp Indian, and at eight years old, you got to understand how traumatic this is, and uh, the more he tells a story, the bigger the guy gets, and so anyway, he takes me and my little friends down the road to the swamp, and he's got the flashlight on the face, and he's it's totally frightening. And so we go, and, you know, we, we hear a brussel in the bush, and, you know, we're freaking out. So he takes us back to my house, and we're in the living room, and there's probably, I don't know, there's probably eight or ten of us. I mean, we're eight years old. And uh, so he's telling the story about how the swamp Indian came to be, and so on and so forth. And um, my hands are getting sweaty just even talking about this. So all of a sudden, out of the window pops a six foot ten guy with a 
pantyhose over his face. And my dad goes, oh my gosh, it's the Swamp Indian. And so we freak out. And we, I mean, we're eight years old, right? Isn't that cruel? We, we scatter amongst the whole house. And so like any good Swamp Indian, he chases the birthday boy. So I run up the stairs. I mean, oof. I run up the stairs and he chases me up the stairs. And quite frankly, I blacked out after that. I'm really not sure what happened. But I'm still here, so I, I guess it worked out okay. But in all seriousness, I wish I was joking. It still affects me today. I cannot walk upstairs at night without thinking about it. Honest truth. You can ask my wife afterwards. And so to be cruel, she actually from time to time will chase me up the stairs. I'm serious. It, it bothers me so bad. This, this, is, this is totally truthful. I slept with a pillow at the end of my feet until I was like 14 years old. I couldn't not sleep with my back against the wall till the end of high school. I mean, it was like obviously mind-blowingly effective on me. And so little did I know, but it was one of my, my best friend at the time. My best friend was Timbo. It, I don't see too many Southerners here. Here's what we do in the South. We just add Bo to anything, and it works. So his name was Tim. We called him Timbo. So Timbo was my best friend until about 12. And uh, it was his dad who was like a fifth-degree black belt that was the Swamp Indian. And so there was some relief there. But uh, I realize now, it was 20 years ago, it still affects me. I mean, it really does. And what I, what I was thinking about this week was how often uh, events or misunderstandings or uh, misinterpretations uh, affect our view, that those things allow fear to creep in when we don't understand something the right way. I, I didn't know for a long time there's no such thing as a swamp Indian, but it affected me for a long time. And I wonder this morning how many things, other things, each of us have that affect our view, that are embedded subconsciously in who we are and how we think about things. And that's what we find ourselves in the book of Thessalonians in the text today is the Thessalonians had a misunderstanding about what the return of Christ looked like. You see, the, the whole book of 1 Thessalonians is written in view of uh, Christ's return. Uh, the first chapter of Thessalonians, Paul is rejoicing with the Thessalonians that their faith has gone out to Macedonia and Achaia. From southern Greece that... Uh, up towards the northern part, that, that their faith and example has been talked about, uh, talked about with other peoples. And he says that, that, that that faith needs to continue until the coming of the Lord. You see, Paul mentions Christ's return in every chapter of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, Paul is rejoicing at his own personal ministry to the Thessalonians, that the Thessalonians are what he called his joy and crown, and that they would be his joy at the coming of the Lord. Chapter 3, Paul still, from a different angle, is reminding them of that coming day, that day of the Lord. And he says that we ought to grow in holiness. And if you remember two weeks ago, Randy equated our growth in holiness with our growth in love. And then last week, Jonathan served us by uh, talking about the specific examples 
of the faith that the Thessalonians had. Because Paul says to them, just as you are doing, do so more and more. But the whole letter, there's a common thread run right through it. And that is that everything for the Thessalonians and their church was done in view of the coming Lord. And so the text we find ourselves in this morning is actually the the climax of the book. It, It is the point in the book that all the other pieces and chapters are heading towards. It is the the cinematic top, if you will, of Paul's letter to those Thessalonians. And so before we dive into the text, would you guys pray with me? And let's ask for God's help, okay? (coughs) Father, we trust that, uh, that the words that you have prepared will serve our hearts well. Lord, that they will encourage us. They will convict us. They will instruct us in every way that we need it, in every way that we don't know we need it. Would you come and exalt your son today as worthy and beautiful and wonderful? Uh, We ask these things in your name. Amen. If you guys will remember, Paul, the account of his interaction with the Thessalonians is in Acts chapter 17. If you haven't read it, you should. Uh, Paul traveled on probably about five missionary journeys, and he ventured through Thessalonica, which is the southern part of Greece. And uh, in Acts chapter 17, he only spent about three weeks there. In his time with the Thessalonians, he stood in the synagogue and preached the gospel. The, The gospel saying that This man, Jesus Christ, was crucified for your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins, and that those who put their faith and trust in this Christ would be saved. But simultaneously, he would have been very clear about those who reject God, those who would be under the wrath of God. The the Hellenistic or the the Grecian culture uh, was a very pagan culture, and so he The Thessalonians would have been very, very familiar with the wrath of God. And so when they hear of the return of Christ, the fear that they have, and you see it starting in chapter, uh, the end of chapter 4, verse 13, the Thessalonians are concerned that those brothers and sisters that have fallen asleep, is what the text says, that means pass away, that their neighbors, their children, their cousins, their co-workers, All of those brothers and sisters in the faith that have fallen asleep would miss out on the return of Christ. And not only would they miss out, the Thessalonians thought that by default, they would be under the wrath of God. Can you imagine how that would feel? You know, some of us have lost loved ones, and our only hope is that they are with Christ. Can you imagine thinking and being concerned that your loved ones are in fact not with Christ, but are under the wrath of God. That's the fear and the concern that the Thessalonians had at the end of chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And so Paul clears all of that up. He says, no, not only are your brothers and sisters going to participate in the return of Christ, but they actually rise first. Verse 16 says... For the Lord himself will 
descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The, the language he uses there in the, in the Roman Empire there was providences. And so anytime a Roman emperor would travel to the providences, the receiving town would send out a group of people. They called it a delegation. And that meant they wanted to welcome this royalty to their providence. And so the language that Paul uses that the the dead in Christ will rise first is the same processional language that would have been used for Roman Empire. So Paul is alleviating their stress and concern that those saints would not participate in the coming of the Lord. And at first glance, it seems that that's where Paul would leave things. But he doesn't, because that's not really the point of what he's trying to share with the Thessalonians. See, we read it broken up in chapters, don't we? Uh, Four ends, and then we get into five, and you have all these subheadings. They would have just read it as a letter. And so the, the aim of theologically correcting them is finished. Paul has a much deeper intention for the Thessalonians. You see, our series is called Built to Last. What does that mean? It means having a faith that makes it to Christ's coming. A faith that makes it to the end. I did, just about an hour ago, uh, a very prominent church pastor, a church of 30,000, uh, was fired for uh, inappropriate um, conduct. And um, I, I hope he repents. I trust that he will. Um, but you or I have the same underlying issue of sin that the Thessalonians had. And that's what Paul's going at. And so Paul suggests that the Thessalonians go to arguably the the deepest well of the goodness of God. He he gives them three of the most glorious truths in all of the Bible. This, chapter 5, is is the mountaintop of Christianity. I mean, this is the apex from which all of our Christian life should be viewed and understood. And so Paul is done talking about what happens to those saints who have passed away. And he says, I want to talk to you saints who are living. Let me tell you how you can have a faith that's built to last. And so that's my aim this morning is that we would observe those same three things that Paul intended for the Thessalonians. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn uh, to chapter 5 there, starting in verse 9. Paul says, for God has not destined us for wrath. Somebody got to say amen to that. For God has not destined us for wrath. Wrath being God's displeasure with sin, you know, Ephesians 2 says that you or I, in our natural state, 
are children of wrath or sons of disobedience. That means that we are under the anger and fire of God's wrath. Romans 1 paints a picture that the coming day of the Lord, you know, the Old Testament prophets refer to the coming day of the Lord as the great and terrible day of the Lord because they would be so aware of the coming wrath of a holy God. That Romans 1 tells us that we know now in part some of his wrath. But on that last day, on judgment day, when that wrath comes, Isaiah 66 gives us the clearest picture. It says that flesh will be burned away. And that there will be no relief. And that all of the people of the nations will know that they have rebelled against God and will loathe them. That's heavy stuff. You know, God's wrath comes down on those who have no response to the gospel, no inclination or ability to please God, or even to know that everything they do displeases God. That the wrath of God is coming for them. D.A. Carson says that the wrath of God is not a part of his character like uh, love would be or steadfastness or faithfulness, but rather his wrath is a response when sin confronts his holiness. And I wonder, how, how much time do we spend thinking about the wrath of God? I don't spend much time. It's uncomfortable. Makes me squirmy. And the Thessalonians would have been very aware in their Gentile Hellenistic culture that they were at one time under the wrath of God. But what does Paul say to them? That wrath that is coming, that will burn flesh that will last forever and ever apart from the presence of God, you were not destined, Thessalonians, for that wrath. That wrath is no longer on your schedule. You, like the Thessalonians, were not destined for wrath. You were not destined for that wrath. Paul gives the Thessalonians the second point, the other side of that truth. It's not just that they were not destined for wrath. It's not just that you are not destined for wrath. What does it say on the second half of verse 9? It says, but to obtain salvation... Through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can Paul say that? 
right? How, how can he, after knowing these people three weeks, say with apostolic confidence, with certainty, because Paul's not wavering an opinion here. He is laying down fact. How can he say to them that they were not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation? Chapter 1 tells us. In verses 5, and you guys don't have to turn there. Verses 5, all the way through 10, he says that the, the power came down, power of the Spirit there, in full conviction, and that you, your lives changed and you began to practice holy living that you displayed joy in suffering that you started obeying the gospel that you were living missionally to the providences of Macedonia and Achaia that you regularly repented from idols and other things and Paul says it's with those marks of assurance that with 100% certainty I can write to you Thessalonians and say you we're not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation being that before the foundations of the earth, God set his love towards the Thessalonians. That it would not be based off of anything that they would do or could do or would somehow muster or uh, speak or worship in a certain way. That it was totally based on nothing that they did. That the salvation came specifically through the completed work of Christ. And it's for the Thessalonians' happiness and for their joy and for their benefit and for their uh, pleasure and enjoyment that Christ offered and destined them for that salvation. Saints, that same salvation is yours. That that same God of the Thessalonians some 2,000 years ago destined them not for wrath but to obtain salvation. You too, in Christ, are not destined for wrath. But you are destined to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. That the, the benefits of that salvation now, we, we only know in part. It's a, there's a song we, we may get to later. Uh, it's a, it's a, called The Ocean, but it's a quote from Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards says that uh, these are just scattered beams, but you are the bright sun. These are just drops, but you are the ocean. We, we only know now in part the benefits of the salvation that God has given to you and to me through his son. And we will know in full when we are with him, but that salvation gives us the ability to, to rejoice, to experience peace, to, to know rest, to feel loved, to know security. It gives us a box to be able to deal with tragedy and endure suffering. Those are just some of the benefits of the salvation that God has given you and me through his son. Everything 
that we need in this life has been locked safe in Christ Jesus the Lord. Every place of refuge, you know the, uh, the song, the old hymn, Rock of Ages, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. A, a cleft is an indention in the side of a mountain. And the language is the same language that was used in the Old Testament when Moses hid his face from the glory of God. Friend, you were under the wrath of God. So was I. We were children of wrath, sons of disobedience, dead to rights. But we now have a cleft to hide ourselves in for refuge and peace and rest. And as if that wasn't good enough. Paul's not done yet. Verse 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. On Friday, my lovely but yet very pregnant wife was having contractions, so we went to the hospital. By the way, I totally recommend, you want to have a fun Friday night, four hours at the hospital. That's about as good as it gets. So we were there. We waited four hours. And they were so busy, we were in a, they told us it was a, a, a glorified storage room where they put us. So totally comfortable, right? And we waited four hours for the doctor to come in and say, everything's good. Baby's not coming. See you next week. But it was totally worth the wait. Because we didn't know. If the, the end result is good enough, it will validate the wait, won't it? That's what Paul says here. The blessed hope of every Christian will validate every ounce of suffering, every piece of criticism, every loss of family, every injustice will be totally justified and validated on that day. Because there's a, a time coming when Paul says that we will live with Christ, that when we stand before him, it will be as if we never had a need of anything. When we stand before him, at that moment when we see Christ, it will be the least amount of joy that we experience for all of eternity. Because the Bible paints a picture that our, our joy grows infinitely for all of eternity in Christ. 
That we are filled up with new joys in who Christ is and what he's done for us. And that we sing about it. That we rejoice in it. That we find pleasure and satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ forever. And that there's a moment coming for the Christian when we will see him for who he is. And we will know, it says, in full. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Paul says, if you Thessalonians want to be built to last, aim your eyes that direction. Cast your gaze towards that celestial city. Because that is your end. You were not destined for wrath, Thessalonians, but to obtain salvation so that whether you wake or whether you sleep, you might live with Christ. And the same is true of you this morning. That whether you are black or white, whether you're old or whether you're young, whether you're sick, whether you're healthy, whether you are sorrowful or you are joyful, whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you are poor, whether you're wealthy. Saint, you will live with Christ. A.E. McGrath is a Christian writer. Here's what he says. Believers may catch glimpses of the heavenly realms. They may even hear the distant voices of angels, but they remain here, committed to Christ crucified in the midst of a suffering world. The heavenly realms remain in the future, even if their distant music can now be heard. So what can we be sure of this morning? Beloved, you were not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation and all of its benefits through Christ so that whether you live or whether you die, you one day will live with Christ. So I want to draw two, two implications, two maybe applications to that end. Paul tells us in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You know, a lot of you guys know uh, Jonathan Morgan. Uh, he's getting married at the end of the month. Um, and uh, so I'll be going up for the wedding and I'm in the bridal party. And part of the job of the groomsman of the bridesmaid, is to get the groom and the bride ready for the altar, right? Make sure they show up, 
make sure everything's nice and tight. Well, your responsibility, our responsibility as brothers and sisters in the faith, is to make sure, best we can, that on that day, when we are presented to Christ, that we make it there. So two applications. Number one, encourage your own heart with these truths every day. That you were not destined for wrath. Because Satan would tempt you to believe that when you suffer, it's God's punishment. Friend, there is no punishment or wrath for those who are found in Christ. In fact, your suffering is a a mark of assurance of your salvation. So encourage your own heart every day with the truths that Paul aimed at the Thessalonians. Number two, just as important. This is what we get in verse 11. Encourage one another with these truths. When was the last time that you or I encouraged a brother or sister with the evidences of God's grace that we see in their life? John, you were not destined for wrath. Brother, I've seen what Christ has done before and after, but you were destined to obtain salvation. Or we look at a sister. We say, Miranda, do you realize that wrath is not on your schedule anymore? That it is salvation through Christ Jesus, our Lord, that is your destiny. Do do, do we exalt in Christ for what he has done in our own hearts and in the hearts of the brothers and sisters around us? Encourage one another with the evidences of God's grace that we see in each other's lives. So that when we stand before Christ one day, that he will look at us and say, job well done, good and faithful servants. You were not destined for wrath, saint. You were destined to obtain salvation. And you will live with Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, we have your word, and its authority is real and powerful. Oftentimes, we're tempted to believe what we feel and what we can see and what we can touch, rather than what you've said is true. We thank you that this morning, if we are in Christ, that we woke up 
under your grace and not under your wrath. That you have set your love towards your saints and that we can be sure with the same confidence that Paul had for the Thessalonians, we can be sure of our position before you. And the joy of heaven that comes with that. Would you seal these words on your beloved this morning? That they may encourage each other and encourage their own hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.